Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the great um, privilege of being able to uh, open your word together. Pray that you'll help us now to be free from distraction, um, all the things going on in our lives and our, in our homes and our hearts um, this evening. Pray that you'll help us to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus and listen carefully to his word. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> our topic for this evening is uh, safety. Uh, health and safety may or may not be a concern of yours. Uh, the final verse of the chapter, which um, Grace read for us so well, uh, verse 23, you will be safe with me. Uh, some of us are more concerned uh, generally about safety than others. Um, some of us at the best of times are more uh, policemen or, or bandits by inclination, perhaps uh, when it comes to playing by the rules and uh, preferring caution or danger. Um, but there's a sense at the moment, of course, that we're all concerned deeply with uh, safety. Uh, it's a concern that all of us have uh, all the time uh, now, uh, as it has been for the past few months. And of course, uh, safety uh, is no bad uh, thing, is it? But a particular question for this evening is, uh, how do we get safety as Christians? We're concerned with safety in many areas of life. How can we be safe? as Christians, particularly when being a Christian throws up so many risks. Uh, have you noticed that? So actually, perhaps you might feel it would be so much uh, easier, uh, so much safer, perhaps, to go through life um, without um, standing up for Jesus. Perhaps some of your relationships in the workplace, your relationships with, in family with your parents or your spouse or friends would be so much uh, easier. And less risky if it weren't for your um, love of Christ. <clears throat> um, you might think that sometimes safety would mean we would uh, want to be cautious when it comes to following Jesus. And I guess that may or may not be true depending on what kind of Christ it is you follow, what kind of king do you follow, what kind of safety do they offer. Uh, last week, I gather you were looking at chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, and there there's a, there was a comparison made um, contrasting, really, Saul and Jonathan, contrasting their, their responses to the Christ, uh, David, uh, a contrast of love and hate. And this week, um, there is another contrast, but a slightly different one. Uh, we're comparing uh, Saul and David uh, as two potential Christs to anointed kings in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, or perhaps it might be better to say a Christ and an antichrist. Saul, who was once anointed as God's king, but uh, having been anointed with God's spirit, has now had the spirit depart from him. He's being tormented by an evil spirit we've learned twice in the past few chapters. And Christ is not, uh, David the Christ has not yet taken his throne in Israel but has been anointed as such by God. So we're going to contrast the, those two kings and their two kingdoms and see which king offers safety. Since chapter 18, there's been a, a number of plots by Saul uh, in opposition to David. Uh, six times, in fact, and each time it's got worse and worse, more, more aggressive. Saul is now firmly up against David. And so when David finally clocks that, he goes on the run. And in fact, uh, a summary of all these chapters, a pretty good one, is uh, 
21, verse 10. That day, David fled from Saul. Um, that's the beginning of him fleeing. And that flight basically continues for most of the rest of uh, the book. Um, however, uh, the short story is that God uh, protects him. Uh, ultimately, Saul fails. And we can see that in chapter 23, verse uh, 14, the end of that verse. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. Um, so there you go. So that, those are many chapters of 1 Samuel in a nutshell, in two uh, verses. Uh, but God didn't give us just two verses, did he? He gave us uh, chapters and chapters. In fact, there's quite a, a, a large amount of this book is given over to David's flight uh, from Saul, running around in caves, nearly a third of the book. And it seems odd, it seems insignificant, it seems an odd thing to, to spend so much time on. Uh, John Woodhouse, who's uh, written a great commentary in this book, pointed out that uh, seven of David's psalms come written during this period of his life. It was a hugely significant period of David's life for his own reflection on what it meant to be God's king. And why would that be? Well, I guess it's a window into the weakness and suffering of God's Christ. Uh, he makes a parallel that, of course, one third of the Gospels focuses on the on the last week of Jesus's life, where similarly we see the weakness and suffering of the Christ. And so on the one hand, we have a, a king who is fleeing and, and flying, who looks weak and oppressed. Uh, but we will see that he is the one who, as the chapter ends, offers safety. And so we're going to compare these two kings, one who appears weak but offers safety, and an antichrist who looks so strong, uh, but is in fact a danger to God's people. And hopefully we'll see that we should be willing to lay down our lives to follow uh, even a weak and suffering king, knowing that he will keep us safe on uh, the way. We're going to take a look at the first appearances of these kings, what, what they look like on the surface before digging a little deeper, first into Saul and then David. But on first appearances, as we said, David looks quite weak as a king. Um, in fact, in the previous chapter, um, we've seen him running around caves, hiding from Saul. It's not exactly great kind of powerful looking stuff. Uh, he, he turned up at a, at a cave in, in uh, Nob with the priest uh, last week, uh, all by himself. The priest was expecting a big crowd of people with him. Uh, he didn't have that. Uh, he didn't have any food. He didn't have any arms. Um, not, those are all kind of things that you need if you're going to be a successful king at the time. <clears throat> and then he was so desperate that he ran away uh, from Himelech, uh, the priest, after that, uh, actually into enemy territory, uh, into Philistine land in Gath. And actually, because he was unarmed, Ahimelech had given him a sword, not just any old sword, but Goliath's sword. So you can imagine just how desperate David must have been to turn up uh, in Gath, Goliath's hometown, with his sword. And they weren't going to treat him uh, very well, were they? And so in uh, 21 verse 13, we see that so such is his desperation, he has to uh, feign insanity uh, and starts kind of acting like some kind of grumpy teenager, uh, making graffiti on the door, letting saliva run down his beard. Um, such is his desperation. It's not looking very kingly uh, and powerful, is it? And then so we get to the beginning of our chapter tonight and he's escaped to the cave of Adullam. Uh, being alone in a cave is not a great look as well. And before we said it wasn't a great look, that he was all by himself. 
when he finally gets some people with him, it's not necessarily the kind of people you'd want to have see around a successful king either. Verse two, uh, David's uh, gang were all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented. They gathered around him and he became their commander. Um, maybe that sounds like the kind of group you'd like to socialize with, but maybe if you're king material, um, that's not exactly uh, who you'd expect to see. He's got a motley crew uh, around him and he's still on the run. But on the other hand, we meet Saul uh, for the first time in this chapter in verse six. And he, on the other hand, is looking exactly like you'd want a king to look like. He's looking uh, presidential, as they say. He is the established king. He has uh, the power. And in verse six, he's seated, uh, effectively on a kind of throne, in a position of power, spear in hand. He has the, the arms that David didn't have. And he doesn't have the same motley crew. He has all his officials around him uh, in verse six. Uh, he's looking uh, inspirational, powerful, uh, real leadership skills. He even has, uh, not only does he have a number of people with him, he even has one of his own men uh, spying on David, as we learned, uh, you see in chapter 1, verse 7, uh, who's Doeg, the Edomite, or Dirty Doeg, as I like to call him, who pops up in uh, chapter 9. So Saul's got men to spare, even ones uh, infiltrating uh, David. On the surface, we know who obviously is the kingly one, the one who offers power and prestige and surely safety. But actually, when we dig below the surface, we see that Saul is a weak king. Let's look again at those verses that we were just looking at, chapters 22 and verse 7. And we'll see that Saul is, in fact, despite all the grandeur, he is deeply insecure and ignorant. Look at what he has to say to his uh, officials with him. Uh, he is so insecure. He is worried about their loyalty and accuses them of disloyalty to him uh, and a conspiracy uh, that they are going to leave him and go off to the other side to David. Uh, why have you all conspired against me? Verse eight. Um, none of you is concerned about me or tells me what my son has incited. Uh, he is ignorant of what is going on and he is insecure. Uh, and Doeg might seem like a good guy to have as a spy in your time, um, but he is no uh, good guy to have on your team, uh, as we will see. And so actually Saul as a leader doesn't look very strong, but actually his failings are much greater than that. Uh, from verse 11 onwards, we see that he is not only a, a bad king, but he is an awful king, a dangerous king. Uh, a king who is a danger to his own people, the people who God has given him to care for. Uh, and he sends Doeg off um, to kill uh, a, a whole town's worth of people in Nob, which is bad enough, but even uh, the priests as well. Those who he, uh, in his insecurity, uh, he accuses of um, siding with David, killing God's own representatives, um, on earth uh, in the priesthood it's a truly uh, awful thing we see that Saul is in fact a dangerous king a king with whom you can never be safe and I was thinking about this account of Saul this week and I was trying to kind of think up of some kind of uh, relevant illustration to think to think of a, a godless leader who was is still technically in power um, but at the same time has had his what was he expected to be a future reign 
and taken away from him. And his response to having it taken away from him has been uh, angrily raging uh, at both the future and uh, accusing all of those around him of um, uh, conspiracy and letting him down. I don't know if you can think of uh, an illustration for, for someone like that, but I couldn't quite think of one. Um, joking aside, Saul here isn't just a kind of um, proud uh, figure. Uh, he's not really a, a, a President Trump. Perhaps he is far, uh, far, far uh, greater. He is more here acting like an Idi Amin, like an Emperor Nero, like a Kim Jong-un. He is someone who will not only uh, taunt you, but will kill you. He kills a whole village. This is not a king you want over you. Uh, he is no king. He is no Christ. He is an antichrist. He is against God. He is against God's king and he's against God's people. And careful readers of one Samuel shouldn't be surprised by this. We've always expected all along. But as we think about kings like this today, we will recognize that Saul actually st uh, represents any kind of leadership that sets himself up in opposition to God and his rule. It is right that Christians say do not trust in princes, however powerful or uh, secure they look. Um, they might offer prosperity and a power and a place in the in crowd, apparent security, apparent safety, but ultimately they only offer danger uh, and death. But on the other hand, we see that David is a strong and safe king. Even though looking back, we <clears throat> thought he looked pretty weak when he was all, all alone uh, meeting Ahimelech, uh, the priest, back in 21. And, and he arrived without any men, uh, without any arms, without any food. But he left with all those things. God graciously provided them all. We've already met the, the 400 men who gathered around him. Uh, we mentioned that he got Goliath's sword, a pretty good weapon to have. Uh, and um, he even uh, was given... Uh, the bread of presence by the priest, uh, a significant uh, event which Jesus himself, of course, uh, picks up, reminding us that David is God's true Christ. Uh, it is a sign that he is God's king, which is why he can get fed even uh, bread that should be reserved for the priesthood. <clears throat> and even though he looked pretty odd when he was acting like a madman to escape the Philistines, in one of David's psalms written from this occasion, Psalm 56, David's own reflection on that occasion is that God has saved him. It was not simply that he uh, was desperate, but God saved him. So in all these times of apparent weakness, when we look at it with, with uh, God's perspective on, uh, we see that, in fact, uh, God has been protecting and rescuing David uh, all the way through. Uh, and while Saul was ignorant, he didn't know what was going on. In verse 5 of 22, uh, we see that David knows the word of the Lord. He has the prophet Gad on his side who told him to go into the land of Judah. And that motley crew around him, well, it seemed a bit of an odd bunch, but actually 400 men on your side isn't, is no bad thing. And of course, the Lord Jesus himself, he didn't gather around him the, the strong and the powerful. He mixed with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, even his own disciples were a fairly odd bunch of people. Uh, Jesus is one who binds up um, the bruised reed. He is not one who simply looks for the strong and the powerful to follow him, uh, but of course includes all people, weak people, even weak people like you and me in his church um, today. 
But I think we really see his uh, David's strength as a king when he rears it for himself in verse 23, uh, the words that I began with. Uh, Abiathar uh, fled the, the scene of carnage and managed to go to David. <clears throat> but, and David says to him, uh, stay with me, verse 23 of chapter 22, stay with me, don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. On the one hand, there's a comforting words, aren't they? A reminder of an assurance of safety. But if we pay attention to what David said and what's just going on, actually, we realise that they seem a pretty odd thing to say. Uh, the man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. That shouldn't be words that particularly fill you with confidence. Um, uh, don't worry, we can both be pursued by this kind of uh, genocidal maniac together oh that's good uh, not great comfort but David is uh, very confident isn't he uh, don't be afraid you will be safe with me he offers a safe space even in the midst of being pursued and hunted and fleeing and David has this faith in himself he has this faith in himself because he has faith in God who has saved him and protected him in all this time of weakness um, so far uh, David offers safety because he knows that God is the one who will keep him safe. I mean, don't have time to look at it now, but you'll see briefly in the next chapter, he goes on to uh, save uh, an Israelite town from their enemies, which, of course, is in complete contrast to what Saul has just done as the king of Israel. He's, he's, he's obliterated his own people. And David is a king who offers safety uh, and salvation to uh, his people. God has faith in the midst, uh, David has faith in God, even in the midst of weakness and trials. And this is a huge comfort, I take it to Abiathar, a huge comfort to the people who would be first reading this and knowing that God's uh, king can still be trusted. And a huge comfort to us knowing that these words are fulfilled in the Lord and Jesus Christ as well. <clears throat> uh, so I wonder then by now whose kingdom do we want to be and what kind of king do we want to follow well i think we know we know the answer don't we we know i take it the right answer but i wonder if our lives always uh, bear that out i wonder if, if we always uh, live in light of um, that plan <clears throat> because saul of course even though we see in hindsight that he is one who offers danger uh, he is also one um, who uh, ultimately, he offers power, but ultimately provides danger. Uh, David offers weakness, um, but ultimately safety. And David, of course, points to a king who defeats his enemies, protects his people, does not endanger them, but in fact lays down his life for his own flock. Uh, it's easy to be ashamed of such a weak-looking and suffering king. But we had Mark 8. Uh, read for us and it reminds us of what it means to truly be the Christ did you notice how the, that, that reading began with Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ the anointed one just like David and so Jesus spells out immediately what it means to be the Christ and out of context it may have been a surprising thing to start talking about suffering and death but we see here in one Samuel that David the anointed one God's Christ is one who suffers one who faces death every day who is weak. And actually it makes sense that Jesus goes on to talk about his own suffering, to then talk about the, the, the hardship that will face his followers. 
Because to be a follower of Jesus today is to be like Abiathar, to have safety in Jesus, but to, to be pursued and hunted with him. But we can never be confident that we will be safe with Jesus. Because even as we suffer now and deny ourselves now, we will have life in him ultimately. We will save our lives in eternity. Uh, we are in the position of those weak followers of David here. We are like those that motley crew, that unimpressive crowd gathering around him. We are like Abiathar running away from the danger of the world to seek refuge in our Christ. And however weak Jesus looks in the eyes of the world, however uh, appealing uh, other powers may be, we can have every confidence that we are safe with Jesus. However much risk it seems to follow Jesus, however much seems at stake, that we can have every confidence that it will be worth it, that our life uh, lost now will be gained with him uh, for eternity. If we want safety in the Christian life, we need to have these goggles on. We need to have a right eternal perspective. It tells us that risk is right now. We can afford to give up uh, the best of things now so that in eternity we can be safe with the Lord. Just as David followers can be safe with him, we can be safe uh, with the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so that will uh, help us uh, every day uh, to live lives of confidence and trust in our Saviour, um, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray as I finish. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, the Lord Jesus can echo the words of David here and say to his followers, you will be safe with me. Pray that we will be those who, uh, in Christ, uh, come to him for refuge from the world, that we do not run away from him in light of his weakness, but entrust ourselves to him. Pray that you would guard us from looking uh, enviously to the, the so-called powerful leaders of the world, but to see that beyond the apparent weakness of a crucified Messiah is one who reigns and one who offers eternal safety. In his name we pray. Amen.